0: Hey, folks, welcome to the Digital and Chemicals Podcast. My name is Jeff Houghton. This is the only podcast with a focus on digitization, digitization in the chemical industry. We are brought to you by Agilis Chemicals, a commerce platform for the chemical industry where you can grow faster with your own digital commerce platform, digital commerce portal. You know words. For today's episode, we're discussing customer service with Shep Hyken. Shep is an expert on this. He's a customer service and experience expert in a New York Times and Wall Street Journal best-selling author on the subject. I think you'll all enjoy this. Please enjoy my conversation with Shep Hyken.
1: Hey, and there hey, he is. Here I am. It is great to be here. Great introduction, thank you, Jeff, for having me.
0: Yeah, it's it's a pleasure um, <clears throat> because you are an expert in this field, and I know people. As we're talking about like really beefing up our e- e-commerce side of things, that customer service becomes a big issue in this like kind of technological world where there's still these high expectations as we we move platforms, whether it's uh, a handshake or or online. Um, now, this is your this is your eighth book, is that right?
1: That is correct.
0: Tell us what's different about this one.
1: <laughs> so about eighty percent is different. Uh, there's some foundational concepts that I put in every one of my books, and it's hard not to go back to some of the old principles. And we can cover some of that, but uh, give you a quick little background on why I wrote this book. Uh, several years ago, I was working with a franchise organization, pretty big group. I had about a thousand people in the audience. I was interviewing the CEO prior to the event to get my intel on this group and find out what they really needed to hear. And he talked about the different measurements that companies use and that his company actually uses to make sure that they're doing a good job. Uh, You're probably familiar with NPS net promoter score, which is the likelihood that you'd recommend somebody to do business with with this company or a uh, customer satisfaction CSAT as they call it score like on a scale of one to five or one to 10 were you happy or sad or glad or mad or whatever and uh he said that's just measuring history we want to measure really we need to know history that's real important he, and he does that and he continues to do it but he says he also wants to measure behavior And the question is, does the customer come back? And if they do, how often they come back? Are they coming back in the cadence of a regular customer? And that's what they strive for is to create that repeat business that is in line with what they would consider to be a regular customer. And regularity in that level, (laughs) turns to loyalty. That's what they shoot for. Yep. So that's why I wrote it. It was like bouncing around in my head for a while. and I thought, you know what? I got to get that down on paper. So-
0: yeah. And I, I, you sent me the books. So I've had a chance to to look through some things to look through quite a bit of it. And um, there's, there's some things I, I love. Uh, so speaking of loyalty, you say loyalty happens when the customer has a strong continuous emotional reaction to you. Right. What does that mean? How's that different from a repeat customer?
1: Well, so repeat customers are gold and you want to create repeat customers, but you need to understand why they keep coming back. If they come back because your price is low the next time they find a price that's lower, all of a sudden, what happened? They were, they, I thought they were, they're my loyal customer. No, they were a repeat customer because your price was low. Yeah, (laughs) Maybe you're more convenient, uh, from the standpoint of, if I have to drive to you, uh, the next, your competitor is five miles further, but if that competitor moves in closer, do you lose that business by, uh, a, an emotional connection, it doesn't mean that, you know, uh, what you want is obviously you'd love it if customers would say, I love doing business with mm-hmm. them. Love is a very emotional word, but I also like the word always because always triggers the emotion of confidence. So if, if you had your customers saying, they're always so knowledgeable, they're always so friendly. They always get back to me quickly. When there's a problem, I know I can always count on them. That word always followed by something positive is, is a, what I would consider an emotional response that's going to keep your customers coming back or at least give you the opportunity to fix whatever's wrong. If something does go wrong or if competition comes in, it gives you the opportunity to maybe have a second chance at winning the business. We work with government agencies quite a bit and you know, they put people out to bid and I've worked with companies that deal with government agencies. And I said, so you know, how do you create a loyal agency, you know, a loyal customer with the government agency? And they said, well, if you do a really good job, when they go to arrange for the bidding process, you're involved in creating the bid proposal that the competition has to fill out. That is a pretty strong place yeah. to be. And, and uh, you know, you may still have to come in and be competitive at a certain level, but uh, price-wise, but you have the opportunity to mold the, you know, RFP, the Request for Proposal. Um, in a way that gives you the upper hand, so I think that's what we're striving for: is to create that that advantage that we have, where we get chosen over a competitor as often, if not all of the time, as possible.
0: Yeah, that's great. And, and I, I I failed to mention up top, but if you, if you're watching and you have questions you you want Chef to answer, we're going to go with this for about half about 35 more minutes, and then you'll have an opportunity to type in some questions in the chat as you think of them. Please do that. We'll get to those. Afterwards, sorry, Chef. I forgot to mention it earlier. So, um, yeah, more so questions, thing, uh, the
1: better, you know. Otherwise, it's just you and me.
0: Yeah. No one wants to, we, we want new blood in here eventually. Yeah. Yeah.
1: We don't it's want just, this to be just as good as it gets. We need more than that.
0: No, just two guys <laughs> who dress the same. We need people who dress different to ask questions as well. <laughs> so, so, uh, when I first saw the title of your book, I'll Be Back, like it made me think of Arnold
1: Schwarzenegger and I think, sure, The that was, the that was, that was intentional. Oh, it's same font? It's, it's actually, this is amazing. So know that I had no intention of ever thinking Terminator, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I just add about three paragraphs into the outline, not even writing the book, just coming up with the outline. I'm thinking, wait a minute. Somebody very famous made this these these three words very famous, and it was Arnie and Terminator. And then I said, well, I've got to put something on that. Then my publisher actually found this font. Their uh, I don't know, their graphic designer said, uh-huh. we have a font called Terminator font, and they bought the font to use for the book. So That's pretty hilarious. cool. <laughs> yeah, it's
0: better than a book named It's Not Atuma. Yeah, uh, <laughs> It's so, Not a Tuma. So what is, what is you talk about it in the book, but what is an Arnie?
1: Sure. And actually, so I right away, I go, I've got to put something in here about Arnie. So the Arnie is like when you win the Grammy or you win the Tony or you win the Oscar. Okay. The Arnie is the award that your customer gives you by basically saying, I'll be back. And then they do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that's it. Yeah. Yeah. You want to get as many of those Arnie's as possible.
0: (laughs) Okay. So uh, this might be a related answer, but so you discuss in the book, the most important measure in business that leaders should consistently monitor Mm -hmm. what's that measurement.
1: And, and I kind of mentioned that, I mean, everybody looks at the regular, um, you know, satisfaction type ratings and that's important to know because by looking at history and it could be just yesterday, you know, if you're doing a good job where you can improve feedback from the customer. But again, we want to take a look at, does the customer actually come back? So we want to measure the behavior and that cadence of behavior. And I'll give you an example. Um, if uh, you probably get your hair cut, how often? Ooh, every few weeks. How about you? Every few. Well, you know, I basically every couple of days I take, it, you know, <laughs> I go in and I, you know, there it is. But seriously, the reason I ask is, do you go to the same place over and over again? Yep. Do you have the same person that you've been going to? Yep. Right, So you're considered probably not just a repeat customer, but a loyal customer. Mm -hmm. And they know that if you come in every few weeks, say every three weeks, that's your cadence. You're going to end up coming in, what, probably 15 times a year, right? Mm -hmm. If you miss a couple of appointments, when I say you didn't make the appointment, you just didn't show up for, say, eight, nine weeks, they would probably say, what happened to Jeff. I wonder what, you know, and that would be their trigger to know that you're no longer a regular customer or something's happened that they should probably jump in and say, hey, how are you doing? Okay?" because that might, you know, give them the explanation or it may do what's necessary to get you to come back and do business with them instead of somebody else that you found down the street. Yeah. So So we want to look at that cadence. That's real important.
0: Oh, yeah, that's interesting to think of it as a a, a timing thing and, and how you can keep track. And and like that, that that communicates caring to me as well. If if you're saying, hey, we missed you, where are you? It, if it, that it actually happens, that yeah.
1: Yeah. So by the way, that's the second side of it. The first side of it is as we measure it, it's like we need to understand what we want to measure. We we need to understand what the number is we want to have happen. So for example, if all we are is measuring customer satisfaction score scale of one to five, you say, you know what, I want our, our ratings to be a 4.6 or higher. Now we have a number we're shooting for. But again, that's looking at, did we do a good job yesterday? But if I said, I want our customers, uh, our, you know, and I recognize in the business of the people that are listening and watching this show today, uh, they probably have, you know, different types of businesses, but you know, what's the cadence of your regular customers. And if they miss, you need to know why, because if you don't hurry up and figure it out, you may lose them permanently. So, uh, yeah, it's just important to take a look at what's happened yesterday, as well as what's going to happen moving forward and what's happening in the moment. You know, if they're not coming back, we want to know if they are coming back, we want to know why
0: there's often a discernible pattern. So would you even recommend like, like I'm picturing, like we have, uh, customer a and then i have a second column in the spreadsheet that's like they order every 4 weeks check off like like do you, do you, do you recommend yes. like keeping track of that
1: yeah and so a lot of companies have different types of customers and and again i'm going to use the most basic example let's talk about that beautiful head of hair that you have that i don't okay but if you take a look at my wife's head of hair she's got black curly hair it's long She's going to be going to get her hair colored at a certain cadence. She's going to get her hair cut, probably not as often as you do. Her hair may only need to be cut once every two or three months, but her color needs to be done. I don't know. I'm just making this up because. Sure. But but you get the idea. So you have these buckets of customers based on what uh, they're called personas. Uh, that's what the technical term is in marketing. You've got a persona and it's just a, a, where, what bucket would you put this customer in? Is this the once a month bucket? Is this the once a quarter bucket? Is this the one that averages uh, a purchase of you know, a hundred dollars versus one that averages a purchase of a thousand dollars, and you put them into these different buckets, and you know uh, what their behavior is, and you know how to also how to properly market to them, and and mm-hmm. look at what they're doing, so you can create a more personalized experience for them as they do business with you.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, in in terms of thinking of of customers, the 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 customers, if you will, of this webinar are watching, and many, if not all of them, are in the chemicals industry. Yes, which is I a know B2B that. Yep. A B2B Mm -hmm. business. Um, So, how do you do you have particular recommendations or is it the same playbook for like creating a great customer service experience for those in the B2B
1: world? Right. So, the short answer is yes, it is the same playbook, but B2B is at much higher risk than B2C. All of our research that we do, uh, we do consumer based research. But just because we're measuring consumers' uh, behaviors and their experience, you know, what, they, what they feel about different experiences they have, doesn't mean that doesn't apply to B2B. As a matter of fact, even the numbers don't match up, but the reasons behind the numbers are identical. And, and here's what uh, I think is important to understand. I, I have a client in the B2B space. And by the way, uh, let's say up front that all of your customers in the B2B space are also consumers. OK, they buy what they buy from you. It may be a different way than they would go on Amazon and buy something, but they're still consumers. And whether you know it or not, they are comparing the experience they have with you in the B2B world to the best experience they've had from any company, which could be another B2B company. Maybe there's an inside sales rep that just takes such great care of them, follows up constantly in touch. And you say, why can't every business be that way? Or then there's Amazon that, you know, seems to have flawless execution, communicates on a regular basis with emails to let me know that the item was, you know, shipped, the item is received, et cetera, et cetera. And and I feel really good with that. So we're comparing to experiences, to the best experiences we've ever had. That's important to know. And many of them are consumers. By the way, uh, as an example... I worked with a uh, medical company or a healthcare organization, a hospital, and they had ordered a half a million dollar piece of machinery to be delivered, x-ray equipment, and they had to actually build out a special room so they were constructing it, and the thing shows up early, like two weeks early, and I was talking to one of the uh, people in in the board of directors, and we were talking about that, and he goes, you know, it's it's a real problem when that happens because we didn't have anywhere to put it, we weren't expecting it, and then he says this, you know, I'm surprised they didn't let us know it was coming early. Even when I order toilet paper from Amazon, they send me an email to tell me it's on its way. And he just compared a half a million dollar x-ray machine to toilet paper. So don't think that, you know, people buying chemicals and the machines that they're using these chemicals in or whatever uh, they need. You're not being compared to toilet paper at Amazon or some other product that Amazon sells. So that's important to know that going in. Uh, But for the B two B world, here's what I I'd like to emphasize: If I walk into a mall and I want to buy a sport jacket, there's probably ten stores that I can go to, and most likely they're going to have some of the same brand names, right? But I'm in the B two B world. And the number of choices I have as a buyer is dramatically reduced. And once I get into a company that I like doing business with, the likelihood that I'm going to switch is far less than I would as a consumer. And so you get into this area of failing your customer. You may have a mistake that takes not months, but years to fix. Uh, I was working with somebody in the automation industry and they buy this These um, large pieces of robotic equipment, which you would think, oh, technology is changing. Actually, the technology is changing, but the equipment itself stays the same. So the software and everything else Mm -hmm. that's making it better, maybe add-ons. But overall, you buy this piece of equipment, it's another 10 to 15 years before you buy another one. So if you make a mistake, it's 15 years before you have a chance to get back in the door. And that's called a generational mistake because there's a pretty good chance that whoever's buying today has moved on and a new generation of buyer has come in.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's interesting you say that the, you say both the stakes are higher and the expectation is as high as consumer. So oh, it, it,
1: probably even higher.
0: Yeah, so then it makes it, it it makes it uh even more essential to kind of get on, get on top of that. Cause I, I think of the obstacles I'll encounter if I'm using a website, that doesn't feel like it's up to date. And I'm like, I got to download a PDF and then print this. And I got to do this. These like these steps that right. because we have this under Amazon type understanding, these steps that maybe aren't actually even that big, but they feel big. Cause I'm not used to it.
1: So I I wrote a book. um, One of the last books I wrote was titled The Convenience Revolution. I've actually put some of the information about being convenient into the book here. And um, there was a study that the Wall Street Journal did on their own. By the way, the subscription model, this fell into the subscription model of of, uh, because that's what a, a newspaper is. Right. Whether it's online or are delivered to your door. It's a subscription model. And I believe many of the people in this audience probably have a subscription model with their customers where on a regular basis, they're delivering chemicals. So it, subscription models, it, it, they are now selling automobiles as a subscription. I mean, everything is, you can subscribe to. Anyway, I digress. The Wall Street Journal said, we're going to get people to fill out a form and we're going to send them their, their paper and or, or digitally send it to them. And what they found was, when you went to check out, they needed a name, they needed an email address, and they needed payment information. What they didn't need was your address, your zip code, your gender, your occupation, your mm-hmm. you know title at the company. And what they found is, every time they eliminated one of those fields in the checkout, ever so slightly, the uh, I guess the finish rate of the customer actually completing the purchase increased ever so slightly. What was happening is every time they removed a field of information they were requesting, they were eliminating friction. It was a little extra step, ever so slight. And what they found is, uh, ultimately, if all we need is their name, their email address, and their credit card number, uh, and whatever information ties to the payment system, don't ask them for anything else. We'll figure it out as we get to know them along the way. But in the initial purchase, Let's make it as easy as possible. Friction-free, eliminate steps, avoid anything that would force the customer to spend even a moment more than they have to in order to make their purchase.
0: And those things seem minor, but but like you say, the add up. Yep. And you talk about the friction reduction cycle and in, in your book can you ex- explain that oh anymore? man
1: now you, you know i probably have to look at the friction that, that wasn't one of the questions on
0: my- <laughs> you <laughs> you sent me the
1: book and i read it i know and <laughs> i got, well so the, the the friction reduction cycle first of all let's understand what friction is friction is about or eliminating friction is about convenience and this is what customers want when we did our study prior to the pandemic, and this is kind of interesting, conven- convenience or eliminating friction was really, uh, it was, and this is the cycle, I guess, is that it was not an expectation. It was a differentiator. It was actually, uh, it, was, it was like, um, I would say it, it set you apart and then it became a trend Okay, because more and more companies figured it out. This is a good thing. And then finally, it's become an expectation. Now, let's talk about what happened during the pandemic. And I'm going to give you the most uh, I mean, the most basic example If you, the car dealerships in the during the pandemic at the beginning, uh, back in around March, April, May of last year they were freaking out because they had to they weren't considered essential so to speak although mm-hmm. they could still do some repairs but as far as people going into a dealership test driving a car that somebody had just touched a minute ago you know it was like really uncomfortable so the dealerships figured out what can we do actually and I want to stay right there but I want to go back to the car dealership that I chose to do business with going in the pandemic was a dealership that I had been doing business with for probably now, maybe nine or 10 years. Prior to that, I'd spent 20 plus years with another dealership. Why did I switch to this other dealership? Because they were 10 miles away. And the other dealership that I've been doing business with for over 20 years was less than a half a mile from my office. I could drop the car off. If they didn't have a car for me, I could walk to work. But the new dealership, 10 years I've been doing business with them, they said, you don't ever come into our dealership. You can buy the car here or we can bring it to you. It doesn't matter. But when you have a repair, we bring you a loaner and it's typically a brand new model, just you know one of our demonstrators and you drive it until your car's ready and then we bring your car back. You never come into the dealership. I go, wow, that's convenient. What does that cost? And they were competitive and they use that convenience to differentiate themselves. Well, now we're in the pandemic and we went from, you know, differentiation to trend to, you know, to expectation, because this is what the car dealerships figured out. We're just going to let people go online. We're going to tell the customer that's what they need to do. Pick out the car you want. We'll bring it to your doorstep. You can test drive it. And all of a sudden the sales started to go up and up and up. And they did the same thing with repairs. But guess what happened now that things are getting back to normal? What seemed to be working so well in the pandemic, some of the companies are saying we don't have to do that anymore. and That is a huge mistake. No, customers want convenience. They expect convenience. They'll pay more for convenience. As a matter of fact, um, the numbers change ever so slightly because of of the pandemic. But customers will pay 52% more for good service. Now, these are consumers. If it's a convenient service, that number goes up into the 60s. If it's because of delivery, 90% of customer surveys said they would pay more if delivery was included in the service that they experienced. That's pretty powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: I, I feel that from the last year. Yeah. It's almost like, instead of looking at the pandemic as like, okay, now we did these things for this time, it's almost like this gave us an opportunity
1: to Provide better customer service. Let's keep yep. it going. Yeah, and, don't uh, now that we don't have to do it anymore. Let's not do it. Let's not really be good to the customer. No, <laughs> it doesn't work that
0: way. You do it. So, uh, so I imagine if if I'm someone watching this, I think, great. I want to do great customer service. It feels like a mountain to to conquer from where we're at. But one of the things you talk about in your book is being a little better than average yeah. all of the time. So and, that's the key. Yeah, and so how do you go about doing that in a a digital experience?
1: Sure. Well, first of all, let's define this. It's customer amazement is what we're talking about. How do you amaze the customer? You aren't over the top, blow them away, the most incredible service you've ever had. No, that will get you a five on a scale of one to five, okay? But you don't have to do that. You want to know what you have to do. You have to recognize what does average look like? And whatever average is, just be a tiny bit better than average, Okay. Uh, I even asked Horst Schultz, who is the uh, co-founder and first president of the Ritz-Carlton, because he believed the same thing. The way you become an iconic brand is not to be over the top. But what makes you appear to be over the top is because you're consistently and predictably a tiny bit better than average. And I said, how much better? He goes, 10% better. So on a scale of one to five, if three is average, you've got to operate at a 3.3 or better. And what does that mean? You return calls quicker. You respond to emails quicker. You reach out to your customer maybe a little bit more often than you have in the past. Uh, What you want customers to say is, they. and I I kind of feel like I mentioned this before, you're always... um, so knowledgeable, you're always helpful. you always get back to me, that word always followed by something positive. That's how you know you're doing a good job when they connect with you because that word always, you know that's that's that emotional connection. And when you're delivering that consistent and predictable, tiny bit above average experience, they're never going to fault you now. You will have problems. There will be issues. there will be complaints. That's okay because, you have to seek them out. That's what the best companies do. And number two, when you hear about them, the way you take care of them, isn't just about fixing the problem. It's about restoring the confidence of that customer. And here's where you don't want to be. You never want to fall into that zone of average or mediocrity. That's that three on a scale of one to five. I'm getting ready to write an article. I write for Forbes weekly and uh, one of the, uh, we got a big holiday coming up at the end of this month. It's called Halloween. And I decided to write about the scary customer, the nightmare customer. And the nightmare customer is not the one that complains to you all the time. Um, uh, although that's, you've got control over the complaints. You can fix them or tell the customer to leave. Uh, you've, you you, it's not the customer that doesn't pay you because you can go after them and get paid eventually. Okay. It's the customer that you think is happy because they never talk to you. And in reality, they think that you have delivered it, nothing better than average, satisfactory, mediocrity, whatever you want to call it. And they just don't say anything. And then one day they find somebody that's a little bit better than that, and they leave you. That's the nightmare customer that you need to be worried about, that you should be you know, thinking, what can I do to avoid that happening? So you think they're satisfied, but they're not. Just because okay. they don't complain doesn't mean they're happy.
0: Yeah, there's marriage advice in there, too, I think. Yeah, there so- is. There.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> By the way, there's a funny thing. I, I think I put it in this, this book. I talk about the word fine. I think it's in, in there. Fine. I, I I Fine is like the F-bomb of customer service. It's a four-letter <laughs> word it starts with F. And and it's like, but but marital, if you ever say, and, and Jeff, are you married? Yes, I've, I've heard the fine, fine before. Okay, yeah, yeah. How's everything? Is everything okay, honey? It's fine. Fine. What does fine mean? Fine fine. means you're in trouble, dude. (laughs) It means not fine. (laughs) Right. So in business, fine, if if F-I-N-E stands for, you know, like an acronym, fine, F is that fake smile, everything's fine, it's not fine. (laughs) You know, I is insincere feedback, which is that fake smile. N is never coming back if I can avoid you. (laughs) And E is, you know, I like I'm emotionless toward you now. I mean, you're dead to me. Yeah. So, uh, but it's interesting back in the 1980s when I first started doing my in my business. And I know I look much younger than that. I started in 1983, uh, but it was uh, sometime a few years after that. I read a survey that was put out by the Technical Assistant Research Program, TARP, as it was called, uh, that was commissioned by the White House, believe it or not, the White House Office of Consumer Affairs. And they looked at reasons customers would leave. And the number one reason was apathy. You know, the person I was dealing with just didn't seem to care about me. There there was no real effort being made. And our research this year, last year, year before, everybody, when you ask them, the number one reason is apathy. And I use that word apathy to describe the experience. Number two is rudeness, okay? Now, rudeness and apathy can kind of go together, but the nice thing about rudeness is somebody might actually complain if you're rude to them. If you don't seem to give them a great experience, didn't seem to care, they're probably not gonna, you know, they're not gonna call you and say, let me tell you, your people just didn't seem to care enough about me. You know, they're, they're probably mm-hmm. not gonna do that, but they will call and say, let me tell you about that dude who just was just rude to me. Let me tell you what he yeah. said or didn't say or whatever. And, uh, you have an opportunity to respond to rudeness, but apathy, you just, you know, it's like, that's the customer that disappears. We're back to that nightmare again. Yeah. One day we wake up, where did the customers go? None of them complained, but they're all gone. (laughs) Yeah, that is the nightmare,
0: right? So, uh, so in your book, you have a bill, Bill Gates quote that says most unhappy customers are your greatest source of learning. So in terms of thinking of people who say, okay, so we weren't perfect. We lost a customer. What
1: do we take away from it? Um, What do you say to that? And maybe we didn't lose the customer. Maybe the customer just complained. So um, it's great if a customer chooses not to do business with you, just as you might have an exit interview for an employee, why not an exit interview for your customer if they've chosen? And especially in our business where we might be bidding against somebody, maybe having done business with them for a while and then they stopped, we should call and say, hey, we want to know what we did wrong. What could we have done to save you? So here's what happens. Um, When you get um, a complaint letter, okay, Well, a typical business, what happens They get this complaint letter and they sit down with the person who may have caused the problem or they sit down with the team and say, what happened? What can we do to avoid this from happening next time? It's a great learning experience. So I'm going to flip this a little bit from your original question. I'm going to say, what happens when you get an accolade letter? When somebody emails you or sends you a letter that says, you know what? Your people are amazing. Let me tell you what happened. And then they share an experience of why they wanted to write this letter. And this is what typically happens next is whoever receives this letter, you know, waves it around pr- proudly, shares it with the team, and then puts it in the file and thanks the customer and that's it. But I think there's a huge opportunity there as well. The same uh, debrief and process you would go through to talk about problems that you're having when customers inform you about them, if in fact you want to take care of these problems, and I assume you do. Uh, you should do the same thing when you get an accolade letter. Why aren't we getting this kind of letter from every single customer that is in this mm-hmm. situation? we That's what we need to shoot for. So uh, our customers that complain to us or a customer that leaves us could be our best source of learning to find out what we need to do to avoid that from happening again. But our best customers, who keep coming back again and again, we should find out why. Once again, I go back to that question, because whatever we're doing right, we want to make sure we do all the time. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's a great point. Okay, so we got five minutes before we're going to open it up to Q and I'm going to try it and flew work.
1: by. This time just flew by, right? Yes.
0: So, so if you got if you have any questions, go ahead and put them in the chat, and we'll get them added. I'm going to try to get to two questions within five minutes. We'll see. Okay. So, uh, chapter 14 of your book, you cover 10 reasons a customer would terminate their relationship with you. Yes. And you give us your top three reasons.
1: Well, sure. Um, apathy, rudeness, and there's another. And there's a number of, They're all some of them. You might say I didn't put them in any particular order, but by coincidence, apathy went in there first. Uh, but mm-hmm. there's another one, and it was just really hard to connect with you. Maybe you didn't make it easy. I went on your website. You know, digital and chemicals to me means we're online and we're on a website and I need to reach out to somebody and I can't find your phone number. I can't find, you know, uh, I have to submit an email and then I have to wonder, are you going to get it? When are you going to get it? When are you going to get back to me? So customers today, if they've got a problem and they want their questions answered in two days, they would wait two days to call you. They're not going to uh, send an email and hope that you call them, you know, right now. (laughs) <laughs> or two yeah. days, whatever, you know, you hear what I'm saying, but yeah. uh, that's what we have to, to do. So, um, but I would say that that's important. And uh, there's also some reasons why you wouldn't want to do business with customers, why you would want to terminate the relationship. By the way, there's that word terminate, you know, you're terminated. So, um, that's perfect. And, yeah, I should have asked that question differently and just said the terminate. Yeah. term. Ex- <laughs> it's hard not to use that accent. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but so there's many reasons why customers, and by the way, I only put 10 of them in the book. There's there's multiple reasons why customers would leave you beyond 10. But you would also consider firing a customer if you couldn't do what they wanted you to do. Maybe they, maybe you don't have the product that they want, but they keep saying, You can give me this, you can give me this. No, I can't. But let me introduce you to somebody that can. And it might be a competitor. Or it might just be another vendor or supplier. Maybe it's somebody that's not paying their bills. And once again, these are things you have control over. Do you want to keep extending terms? Do you want to keep going through this? Or do you want to say, look, it's, you know, you're not profitable to me. And we have to maintain a level of profitability in order to provide the services that we, we uh, offer, as well as take care of our employees. We have to feed them and their families for doing the work. Uh, And then the third reason that we have in there is if they're just, and this is my favorite because uh, I hate when it happens, but when it does happen, management and leadership get the chance to be heroes. When your customer is belligerent, mean, disrespectful, they call your employees names. They're not not behaving in a way that you would want. And and maybe they cuss, maybe they even uh, use racial slurs. Uh, Totally inappropriate. By the way, the stats and facts about how Customer support people in general, in general businesses, not necessarily our business, the, the, you know, for lack of a better term, crap that they have to take from customers, which include, you know, racial names and things that's just so inappropriate. I think it's it's so in, important for that manager, that leader to step in and say, hey, I'm going to give you one chance, or maybe they don't even deserve a chance. Yeah. But yeah. the signal that that sends to your people says, wow, they have my back. They care more about us than they do that sale from that customer.
0: Yeah. It's almost like customer service towards your employees is also important. So I have last question, and then we'll get to to everyone else's question. So in the final chapter of the book, I'll be back, you have covered the six steps to create an I'll be back experience. What are those six steps? All
1: right. So this is appropriate to everybody who is watching this. Number one, you want to ask yourself, why would somebody do business with me instead of the competition? And don't say, because we have great service, because everybody's going to say that. You could have true differentiators. Maybe it is your price. That's fine. Maybe it's that you've got a product that others don't have. Maybe it's a process. Maybe it's your faster delivery. Uh, But whatever it is, it needs to be recognized and seen, and the customer needs to experience it. Number two, what does the competition have? that we don't. In other words, why would the customer do business with them instead of us? Step three is something I call keeping pace, which is to look at what your competition is doing that you're not and then decide, do you wanna do that too in order to compete at the same level? But if you decide to do that, make sure you do it differently. Uh, the, my favorite example of this is years and years ago, somebody in the hotel business said, hey, let's give our customers a free newspaper uh, in the morning. And so they would tell their customers, Come town tomorrow morning. When you get your cup of coffee, we've got a free newspaper for you. It's a nice little perk, an amenity, if you will. And then the uh, hotel across the street said, hey, did you see what they're doing? They're giving away newspapers. We should do that too. And then it becomes a commodity, right? Except this hotelier, the second one said, but let's make it different. Rather than have the customer come down, let's uh, drop them off at the door. So when they wake up in the morning, they just open the door and take it in and read it in their own room. Ah, That's a great idea. And then some other person said, great idea. Why don't we offer them a choice? In this? You see where it's going? We're trying mm-hmm. to differentiate. All right. So that's step three, keeping pace. Step four, go to uh, look outside of your industry. And by the way, you want to do this in an environment with your team, your leaders and frontliners and different stakeholders from within the organization. And you want to ask, what are the companies that you love doing business with outside of what we do outside of our industry and why and that why is real important because we're going to look at the companies we love and what makes us love them and then we look at that why and we do step five are any of those things that the company's doing the why's if you will are those things that we can do in our business and if so let's figure out how to incorporate it into our process into our into the experience that the customer has. Now, what you've just done is you've got, and by the way, you can copy it exactly because it's not somebody in your own industry, somebody outside of your industry. And what you're trying to do is not be you know, best in industry. You're trying to be best in class, world class, if you will. And then step six is once you've gone through this process and you've started to implement some of these ideas, you go back to that first question and you ask, well, now that we've done this, why would a customer choose us instead of them? And that is the process. Boom. Yeah. I did that about as fast as I think I've ever done
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That was good. Well, let's, we're going to open it up to the audience now. We have some questions here. Uh, let's see. Uh, so, question number one, we got about 20 minutes left. How important is it to give B2B customers a digital experience?
1: Why does it matter? Well, once again, we go back to something I said earlier that your customers no longer compare you to just direct competition, they compare you to any experience they've ever had. And that means it, it could be a digital experience. Forty-one percent of consumers prefer to go digital first with an experience than pick up the phone and call customers for, or call a company for support. Uh, that, by the way, is starting to become an expectation in any business that we we work with. And companies have trained us to think that way. You know, years ago, the airline said, stop calling us to make a reservation, go online. It's so much easier, so much quicker. You'll see what all the choices are. And if you, once you learn your way around the website, you'll find it's a much better experience. They did a great job of that. Amazon taught us how easy it is to go online. Look for something that you want. Just type in a word into the search, boom, there's a choices to make. What size, what quantity, what color, you know, compare different vendors, if you will. And you make your choices. From the customer service standpoint, same thing. I, I would rather go and see if there's a frequently asked question page on a website that would give me quick answers. So, um, or perhaps um, not just, you know, that, how about video tutorials, how to best use? You know, we if we've got directions on how to best use the chemicals that we provide, why not put it into a, a video tutorial? It's so much easier for people if, if they're trying to learn something to watch it I mean, some people want to read it. You should have that too, but why not consider that option? And you don't have to be a director and a movie producer to do this. It can be your iPhone that takes this video. Just make sure the sound is good and they'll forgive whatever poor quality video you might have as long as it does the job. Um, I bought a ping pong table when I was struggling to put it together. It was a lot of pieces and the instructions were in German because it was a German ping pong table. Of course. <laughs> and so I typed in, uh, I just went online. I went into Google and I typed in the model number, name of the ping pong table. And a video came up on uh, YouTube, which had a guy from the company with music, no words, just taking everything out of the box, laying it out the right way and teaching me exactly how to do it. That's pretty powerful. Who would have ever mm-hmm. thought that that's the kind of experience a customer would have, when to have when they were struggling to put their ping pong table together? So, oh,
0: yes, I this is this maybe doesn't pertain to anything, but I I've sort of become a little bit handy over the last several years. My dad wasn't handy like you know craftsman sort of thing, and I've become a little bit handy, and it's all excuse me <clears throat> excuse me it's all from YouTube videos and like there's this there's when i am trying to figure something out i'll go to the website of the company i'll go to youtube i'll go to like i'll cross-reference all these different sources and i imagine if you can have them all right there on your page with links and that sort of stuff that that's get it from there
1: you're probably right. right and here's what you need to do to make that happen you need to teach your customers how to get the best support So, for example, I decided uh, to buy into Salesforce as a CRM, Customer Relationship Management Software. And uh, some of you watching this probably use Salesforce. And one of the questions I had was, tell me about the technical support. I'm a small company. When I have a problem, I need to get it resolved quickly. Do I have to submit a ticket? Do I have to wait for somebody to get back to me? And they said, just go to YouTube and type in, how do I do? You can fill in the blank with Salesforce. And it's like, holy cow, not only does Salesforce have videos, but customers put their videos on there on how they resolve the issue too. And this is great. And that people are still today, and as much as I use this tool called Google and YouTube, I sometimes still forget and 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 try to do it, you know, like the old traditional way, because like for decades, that's how we did it. And today it's a little bit different. And probably in the last five to 10 years, things have dramatically changed where companies uh, have put out a digital presence, uh, you know, and the ability to create that process digitally and customers are enjoying that experience as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> okay. A few more questions. <clears throat> Get this frog out of my throat after I asked this one. So loyalty for industrial customers is often to a product supplied to them and not necessarily to the organization creating the product. How do you frame your customer experience differently?
1: Does that make mm-hmm. sense? So, yeah. It makes total sense. You're selling a commodity. That's all it is. So the way you do differentiate is you do build the relationship. Um, and you, what I'd love for you, you to be thinking about is what can I do to support my customer? If they are buying, uh, so if, if you call me up, a company calls up and says, I want a hundred of these books, hint, shameless plug, but seriously, <laughs> I would ask, tell me what you're doing with these books. If somebody said, Oh, we're giving them away to customers. Really? What if you gave me the customers' names and I personalized every book to Jeff, you know, to Bob, to Sally, mm-hmm. to whatever, and just they go, you would do that? Well, yeah. What if the cus- company who said, we're going to buy 100 books, uh, and I said, what are you going to do? I'm going to give them to all my employees to read. Tell you what I want to do for you. Um, I know you could have bought them online. We never had to talk. But because you're buying them from me, let's do uh, once everybody gets it, let's find a time and let's do a quick little 15 minute Q&A with with your team, anybody that wants to jump in here. You would do that, you know, like a book club, kind of like what we're doing today, uh, Mm -hmm. talking about the book and different things. So what I've just done is I've elevated just buying a product to something far better. I've made it experiential. What can we do? And it could be the simple idea that the salesperson Even if they're buying digitally, somebody inside picks up the phone and every once in a while talks to the customer. And here's what I want them to know, or what I want the salesperson to know. I want them to know why they're buying that product. What are you using it for? Tell me, hey, you know what? I've got a suggestion for you. What do you mean? This is a great product for what you're using, but there's something new that's out there that you might be interested in as well. Now, what happens is your goal is to stop being a vendor because that's what you are. If all it is, it's a... Cash transaction, if you will. You know, I need this. I'm going to give you money for it. And there's no other relationship. You're simply a vendor. You want to become a partner. A partner is a vendor relationship Mm -hmm. on steroids. And in the B2B world, that's what you're going for. Partnership equals loyalty. Mm, That's good.
0: Okay. We got time for a few more. Okay. Unlike B2C in B2B, the decision maker and the user are different people. Decisions yes. are often made based on rational factors, not emotional factors, you, not emotional or factors you can not emotional or factors you cannot assign value to. How do you ensure that the decision-maker considers the user's experience in her decision-making process? Does that make sense? Or is that a little convoluted?
1: Uh, it's a little convoluted, but I think I get it. Um, start, the, the first part of it. hit, hit me again. Yeah, so Uh,
0: unlike B2C and B2B, the decision maker and the user. Okay, so let's start there. I think the person interacting with your website is The
1: purchasing agent, a purchasing, you know, or a buyer in the company isn't necessarily the user of the product. And oftentimes there's a disconnect. And even though you're going to have a digital presence, uh, depending upon the size and the type of client or customer they are, you may want to make an effort to at least have some relationship beyond the digital relationship, um, if that's possible. Very few companies can maintain customer loyalty with a straight up 100% digital presence. Um, you know, Amazon was able to do that. By the way, this may be something worth looking at. Amazon has a Prime program. Some people call it oh, their loyalty program. It's not a loyalty program. It's a membership program. And you join as a member, you pay a little bit of money, and now you want to get your money's worth, which is why you keep going back to Amazon, who, by the way, still provides a great product, great service, and great experience. But once you pay that $120 a year as a consumer, why would you pay another company that kind of money for someone? So you see what I'm saying? We, we want Ooh. to go there. Anyway. Your purchasing agent, your buyer is not necessarily the user. So it may be important for you as, a, as the vendor, ideally partner, to make a phone call, have a conversation with both the buyer and the user in the same group room so we can totally understand why this product from our company is the right product, not something that's similar from another company at a, even a lower price if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So uh, what we're talking about here, I mean, I still believe B2B has a bit of a ways to go to create a 100% digital experience. Some companies are able to get away with it and do it well, but overall, there still is the human-to-human factor that's needed. And something that I put into the book as well, and I've written in a couple of books, is no matter what, uh, how digital the experience is, if there is ever a question, it needs to be a seamless, easy way to get to a human to get that question answered. If I'm a customer and I love doing business with you, but one day I have a problem or a question, make it easy because that's judgment day. That's the day that I decide I'll stay doing business with you or start looking for somebody that's more convenient.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's the moment you got to show up. You got to be there for that moment. Um, okay, so you, you may have already gotten to this, but the next question, you claim you can't automate a relationship, yet some companies are still able to create an emotional connection with customers with little or no person-to-person contact. How is that possible? Mm-hmm. So you're just saying, like, yeah, create a little bit of create a little bit of that person-to-person contact if it's solely digital,
1: right? Or or create. Uh, so remember that I, we talked about this earlier. Sometimes it's just the feeling of confidence. Uh, when Amazon, as soon as I place the order. Your order has been placed. That's the first email. The second email, your order has been shipped with the tracking information. Third email, your order has arrived. Okay. Uh, Do I love to get those emails? I mean, I just clog my inbox with emails. No, that's not what it's about. It's about the information they're communicating to me. So I love the emails. They're not spam to me. And matter of fact, I look forward to getting them to know that everything's happening the way it's supposed to be happening. So Mm -hmm. if somebody places an order digitally for chemicals, you need to tell them we've got the order, Uh, let them know it's been 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 shipped and give them the tracking information, let them know it's been received on the loading dock. And, you know, that way, by doing that, you're going to do a couple of things. Number one, you're going to create confidence. Number two, you're going to avoid somebody calling you and saying, where's my stuff? Because um, they have the information they need to know that it's been shipped, it's in route, Oh, I can see, uh, you know, FedEx, UPS, the post office, DHL, whomever it's due to be delivered this afternoon. Oh, great. Now I feel good. And I can, I can track it and I know who to call and what to happen to, uh, what to do if it doesn't happen the way it's supposed to be happening. You know, Jeff, I don't know if you've ever been, I'm sure you travel a lot doing what you do. Uh, You've been in an airport and this is what happened. I see it happening over and over again. The flight says it's supposed to leave at four o'clock. Well, it's quarter to four and there's no plane at the gate. Okay. And so I know that that plane, it takes 15 minutes to unload the plane. It takes another 20, 25 minutes to get people back on the plane. Even if that plane showed up in the next minute, it's not leaving on time, but the gate agent doesn't tell anybody. Instead, Uh the gate agent waits for the unhappy, uncomfortable, uh, questioning customer to come up and say, hey, what's with the plane? And then the gate agent has to say over and over again, oh, plane's not here yet. It's due on the ground in 10 minutes. Why doesn't the agent just pick up the loudspeaker and say, attention in the gate area, okay? And tell them what's going on. Now, I've seen that happen. And this is what it looks like in the gate area. Attention in the gate area. I want to talk to you about you know, your flight at four o'clock. It's obvious the plane's not here. Let me tell you why it's on its way in. It left a little bit late because of traffic. It's going to land in in seven minutes. We're going to get everybody off in 10 to 15 minutes. We'll clean the plane and get you back on. But this is what the audience, the audience is what the passengers look like in the lounge area. They all go like this. (sighs) Why? Because they just got the knowledge everybody got it at the same time. And now they have a degree of, con, uh, of confidence, which is actually a sense of control over their situation. Now I know, okay, I'm cool with it being 20 minutes late. I can handle that. <laughs> that kind of... <laughs> Yeah. Tell me, even if it's not good, just tell me. Right. Okay. Let's wrap up with
0: this question. Um, Cause I think it kind of uh, it's one from the audience, but I think it kind of talks about what we're talking about. Generally um, also a reminder, everyone that participates, Gets and I'll be back. Book from Chef Heiken. Um, everyone today watching this. So, uh, so the final question is: How is how important is it to give B two B customers a digital experience, and why does it matter? This is kind of the ultimate question for for people watching.
1: Okay, uh, repeat the question again because we've actually said it several times. We've had uh-huh. the answer. Why is it important? Why is it important
0: to give B2B customers a
1: digital experience? mm -hmm. Why does it matter? Yeah, kind of wrap up your thoughts on that. So here it is, all right? Customers are smarter than ever before. I mentioned this earlier. They don't compare you to a direct competitor anymore. They compare you to the best service they've ever received from anyone. (laughs) And most likely, it's probably not in your industry. It could be the restaurant down the street. It could be Amazon. It could be, I mean, maybe it is somebody in your industry, which would be great. But I'm going to tell you, the expectations that a consumer has are creeping into the expectations that your B2B customers have and recognizing that will give you an opportunity to come up with a better process and a better experience. That's going to make that customer say, I'll be back.
0: Perfect. There you go. Shep. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Really appreciate it. And thanks as always. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate you being a part of this. We'll see you next time.